everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Join us again, everyone. Another edition of Poker Action Line. Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez uh, doing the show out of South Florida, as we always do. And uh, we are uh, back in action here in the state of Florida, pretty much. Uh, uh, the governor is uh, trying to open everything uh, full blast. Uh, he told the Miami Dolphins they could have 65,000 people if they wanted to into their stadium. The Dolphins, of course, said no, we're not going to do that. But meanwhile, other college teams like the University of Florida Gators, who lost last week, uh, despite their, their spot as a top five uh, top, team. Top three or top four. Yeah, I think there were four. But uh, they have now uh, dropped out of there after losing to Texas A&M. But their, uh, uh, their people have uh, uh, said that they, they're blaming their loss on the crowds. And they did that at LSU, too, that uh, they couldn't pack the place and they took away their advantage. Uh, they were actually playing at Texas A&M, Florida was, and they said that there was only supposed to be a limited number of people, but they put all the Texas A&M fans right behind their bench. So uh, a lot of complaints there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's all got nothing to do with poker, but uh, we are seeing a lot of rooms back in action here and things, um, you know, it could be a bad thing, could be a good thing. We'll see, but uh, we'll certainly uh, hope that uh, things continue to improve and that people will uh, actually uh, get back to the tables and mass. I think a lot of people still enjoying the online experience, but uh, we will follow that along uh, tonight uh, around the show today. Uh, I want to talk about a few things. Uh, we might get a little bit later into a couple of hands. There's a challenge match going on that's being televised uh, by poker go uh, between Phil Helmuth and Antonio Esfandiari special challenge match. So there's some interesting hands coming out of that. Uh, there are some big tournaments, but uh, uh, a lot of people, as I mentioned, not uh, your big names that you would normally follow. So uh, whether people are watching these things online, it's hard to say. But uh, people are getting back to the table somewhat. And last week, uh, I talked a, a little bit about uh, the social aspect of poker. And uh, I wanted to talk about one story that I was reading about um, – Actually, from the dealer chick. Uh, we go back to that. We have, haven't talked about her for a while because, uh, you know, obviously she passed away. Passed away. I'm going back and looking at some older articles, and uh, I wanted to start off with uh, with that. Also, want to get in later to some poker tells, some um, basic tells, and how they can be manipulated, and that you can actually turn what people might assume to be a poker tell into a reverse tell. So uh, <laughs> that happens as well. Uh, so we'll see what we can do, but, uh, let's start out by the social aspect of poker. And I wanted to, as a, uh, poker room director, uh, you're often walking around the room, Joe, trying to spot things. A lot of times people won't complain, but occasionally at the table, a player will fold his hand, but before he does, he'll show it to his neighbor. Uh, just, you know, to, whether they want to build some camaraderie or something. But that has a very negative effect, effect on the game. It gives information to someone that everybody doesn't have, especially if you were the one in the hand and he's folding and you don't get to see the hand, but someone else at the table does. 
Uh, how much do you watch for that walking around the room or do you just wait till someone complains about it? Yeah, let me tell you, you don't even need to have to, you know, watch for it, Dave. As soon as it happens, my experience has been um, twofold. Either the players at the table start screaming or the dealer, if it's a professional good dealer, will instruct that person um, that, you know, that they have to show that hand to everybody. And that particular th- uh, happens two different ways during a hand, Dave. Um, for the most part, it's innocent um, people actually trying to be friendly and sociable at the right, table right. could see a flop, could see a turn and show their neighbor their hand as they try to draw for a full house, a flush, you know, whatever it is. And people at the table. Now that person that they show it to obviously is out of the hand, but for the same reason, whether you show it at the beginning, middle or the end of the hand, you've given someone information as to how you play your cards. Right. So, uh, in the first fold of that also, if you happen to do that, that happened to cost somebody in my room almost $4,600. Uh, they hit a, they hit a jackpot and bad beat jackpot. They hit, yeah, they hit a, it wasn't a bad beat. It was a, you know, they hit, um, the Royal flush. Okay. And, you know, when they were on the draw, they showed their cards and, you know, as is customary in any jackpot, you have surveillance check to make sure somebody, you know, didn't blatantly cheat. And while doing that, they were, you know, they told me, hey, one of your rules is they can't show their cards. And very odd, you know, he just, it was like, you know, here, you know, he actually showed both neighbors, you know, both players on each side of him. And I had to inform him that, you know, he forfeited the right to for almost $4,600 a he was not a happy camper, but the rules were posted. And I told everybody, you know, look, you know, you want to keep going against the rules. This is what happened. So that's being said, that's what happened. In other cases, you know, like you said, at the end, they miss. It's a misdraw. They show the neighbor. Look at this. And they throw their cards. Then they get here's where the big argument comes. Those people who miss their draw get real upset when somebody else at the table who's not in the hand asks to see their hands. And that's usually the large commotion that you hear and uh, you get called over to the table. Now, did you find that on your own, just looking at it look closely, or was there something, someone who hinted that to you that uh, that had happened during the hand? Uh, well, at this stage in poker, this far along as we are into poker right now, usually I'll either hear the screaming at the table, hey, that guy's got to show his cards. And you know that. No, I mean for the jackpot, that one-time jackpot. No, no, no. Like I said, it was mandatory for us to. Right, but I'm asking you if you found that on your own, or if someone else actually pointed it out to you. No, 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 no. We found out by looking at the at the film of the whole hand because you watch the whole hand from beginning to end. One to make sure the dealer didn't, you know, didn't miss procedures, and two that the players played the hand the way they're supposed to. Now. I have had people hit high hands and have done the same thing. And obviously you're not going to go through that surveillance situation. And at that point I will, I will have it, you know, searched. And if it was a blatant, you know, like really bad uh, scenario, I'll go and disqualify the hand. 
you know. The funny part, Dave, is every time any player in in 20 plus years that I've been doing this tells me about somebody else, you know what the next words out of their mouth is? Don't let them know it was me. I don't want anybody <laughs> to know it was me. I have never had anybody go up there and say, yeah, you could tell that SOB that it was me, you know. So, you know, that's that's part of the nature. Part. And the same thing has happened when they think they've caught dealers stealing. And they go, well, one of you, and I go, well, you know, you're doing me no favors by giving me this information because especially back in 2012, I go, I got 90 dealers. I can't sit around and watch 90 dealers <laughs> right. deal until I catch them stealing. I go, if someone isn't doing something right, you need to let me know who it is. I'll make sure that, you know, no one ever finds out it's you. And usually I've been able to talk them into it. Well, as far as showing a hand to another player at the table, but not everybody, uh, it's probably something that happens a lot of times. And, and it has to happen several times before people get fed up and actually report it. Because obviously if it's a pretty social game and everybody wants everybody to have a good time, players enjoy, uh, you know, uh, the players without cards at the hand and to enjoy what's happening. And, and it's all part of the fun of the game. So it, it sometimes it builds up and it's come to a crescendo before you finally hear about it. Yes. Well, no, not even to a crescendo. I'm telling you um, now that there's serious money in the casino, Dave, listen, almost, almost instantly um, players will say, Hey, I want to see what those cards are. The one exception may be a friendly 2-4 game because what usually will happen is the, the guy will show the neighbor, throw the cards away, and then go, he'll tell you I had a 5-6 of clubs <laughs> and, and announce his hand. But in other instances, they fold, and the people, I want to see those cards, and then you hear the insults. The only time in my career, Dave, that that occurred, and I can't, I'm sure somebody said it at one point, but I can't recall it, to be honest with you, was in all the private games that I played in. You know, somebody would show, look at this, look what how I missed, and throw the cards away. And I guess out of, you know, uh, not to say because that's not proper etiquette, but out of kindness or not to create a tension in someone's home, I don't ever recall anybody saying, you know, what did he have, you know? And then the slick part, is someone would say, oh, wow, so you missed your draw. What you have? You know, and they'll tie, talk them into it, even though the neighbor saw it, and the neighbor's not going to blat out, oh, he, you know, he had the ace-high flush draw right from the flop and missed it or whatever. So private games, due to the fact that you're invited to this game, um, a lot of the uh, proper etiquette sometimes goes out the window. At least it did back when I used to play a lot of those games. Right. Well, a lot of times it can happen where someone does show somebody their hand. And then when this when the scene is reversed, uh, the other player doesn't want to show he'll be angry. And that can cause some bad feelings. Because I showed you. That's 100 percent correct. I've seen that many times. Um, I took big advantage. And it's not just in seeing the cards uh, sometimes in, in games. And, and I got. And it upset me. I'll give you an example that upset me, and it wound up costing the guy probably about $400. Uh, sat down, opened the table, and the guy to my immediate right goes, do you chop blinds? And uh, for those who are listening and don't know what chopping blinds is, in a cash game, if everybody folds to the blinds, 
you know, um, if it's a kind of gentleman's agreement, hey, we're not going to play our hands against each other. And one person, when you ask, you're going to ask the people on both sides of you because the guy to your right is going to be the small blind when you're the big and, and vice versa. So I told the guy, yes. And the situation occurred about four times that we chopped the blinds over a couple hours. And then all of a sudden he raises me on one of them. I looked at him. I go, hey. I said, what happened about chopping blinds? He goes, I can't. I got such a great hand. Well, little did he know I was sitting with pocket aces on that particular time. So I let him bet the hand the whole way through and showed him pocket aces and everybody at the table. And at least to his credit, he goes, he apologized. He goes, I'm an asshole. And he goes, and I deserve this. And I go, well, this was about a $400 lesson for you. <laughs> and I left shortly after that because even though he apologized, you know, I thought that was pretty, pretty low of him. So. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how it affects the game because obviously it's giving out information uh, that a player didn't didn't earn, uh, you know, and that's one of the secret best parts of the game is or the most important parts of the game is the gathering of information for future hands. So, talk a little bit about uh, you know what happens uh, and how that can affect future action. Well, nowadays, if someone wants to get under someone else's skin. The only time it, it's it's very negative is the fact that um, somebody knows it's going to piss off one of the players or a few of them at the table gets obviously pissed off again that he missed his he missed his draw, shows the neighbor and then immediately puts his cards in the muck, so there's no retrieving them. Right. So there's many, multiple ways of dealing with this. If it's happened more than once, I usually throw the person out of out of the out of the room for the day. If it's if it's a multiple offender, I'll try to have him barred. Um, and and you know, as far as that's concerned, that's the negative part of it. The rest it just hurts the person who showed the cards, Dave, because people right. get a read on get a read on not so much the cards that you'll play because the game has changed where people will play a lot of different cards, you know, different sequences from different areas, uh, whether it's good, bad, or in between. But people, the, the read that I get out of it, Dave, to be honest with you is if it's a, if it's a, um, if you're constantly going to go chase your two, you know, your, your, the turn in the river for, for a heart, let's say two hearts on the flop and you're chasing the, the flush, uh, will you take all that heat to get there? Um, you know, you as a poker player, like you said, information is money and, and so on. Um, so, and I've used it to my favor and people have, excuse me, people have used it against me early on in, in my career to see how far am I willing to chase something and how much money am I willing to put in? And, um, if you get to see this two or three times, Usually the smart players will do it in a very friendly way. Right. Hey, hey, you just showed them your cards. Like, you know, can I see them too, please? You know, instead of getting confrontational, by getting confrontational, you either get the game very up, you know, people very upset at the game. And if it's a good game, you don't want to do that because you're going to, you're going to send money away. Or two, you start educating the bad player. And as we've said on this show before, you know, no matter, except for Tuesdays, we would use this line every day of the week except for Tuesday and it would be 
hey, buddy, lessons are on Tuesdays. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, and we made sure we never had a game on Tuesdays. So exactly. uh, that was it. Well, in, in her story, she talks a little bit. She brings up the RSG, the rules stickler guy. And, you know, there's always someone under those at the table, a table captain who uh, wants to call things out. Ironically, she says, uh, you know, he's he might be the player that uh, that breaks the rule uh, all the time himself. But then when other people do it, then it's a big problem for the game. Well, that has it. Unfortunately, as I, you know, and may the dealer chick rest in peace. Um, that didn't turn out to be my experience for most of my career as, as a player or a dealer. The uh, rule stickler guy, as she likes to say, uh, usually followed the rule, just tried to run. Actually, so much followed the rules that he was taking on the job of the dealer. And in my case, it used to annoy the hell out of me. And I would and I would say, uh, hey, thanks for the help. But, you know, I'm not going to share my tips with you. And people would laugh and, you know, ha ha ha. And that was a nice way of telling him, listen, let me run the damn game. And I, as a professional, I knew how to run my game. If it continued with the same person, uh, you know, eventually I would tell him, listen, you know, buddy, you need to stop doing this. I'm running the damn game and this and the other. Now, where it becomes a problem as a supervisor is some dealers are more professional than others, more experienced, more professional, or more assertive, um, that's my biggest problem as a manager. Some dealers enforce all the rules, and which obviously when you do that, Dave, you, you're going to upset some of the people who love to break those rules. Ah, you know, you're such a pain in the ass. You know, so-and-so doesn't do that, doesn't bust my chops that way. And it sucks because then they come off break, they tell me, look, you know, I'm being the bad guy, bad girl by enforcing the rules. And then, you know, I have to start making eventually examples of the bad dealers who, you know, who aren't following the rules, who are letting the, the players do what they want. Basically embarrassing them in front of their... Uh, well, it's not embarrassing them. They're embarrassing the other players who are following the damn rules. Right, right. So I go, listen, you know, that's the case. And I've had to send some dealers home on days that's going to cost them money. Um, you know, and on some rare cases, they are just... So intimidated because they think that if they have to enforce the rules, the people aren't going to tip them. And and I have always told dealers this. If someone uses that as an excuse to not tip you, they were looking for an excuse not to tip you, period. Okay? And the, the true poker player, professional poker player, you know, will tip you. And, and actually, sometimes you'll get tipped because you are enforcing the rules and making the game run smoother and better. And again, it becomes, it's become much more of a problem down here because of the money that dealers make down here, Dave. And they're so afraid to enforce the rules because a lot of the big rule breakers, Dave, are great tippers. Like uh, that guy, Steve, that's been barred in a lot of places. The guy <laughs> who came up with the phone, uh, phone jack or whatever that was. Great tipper, um, you know, but unfortunately broke a lot of rules would eventually get upset and overturn the tables and everything else. And, um, you know, people are afraid to say something to them, but unfortunately what happens is if you allow those people to consistently break the rules, two things are going to happen. 
the good players are going to get so pissed off that you're not you're incapable of running the table properly that you won't get tipped from them, okay? Or they're all going to start doing this, and then it becomes an impossible game. And either way, you're going to lose a lot of money. So, well, well her po- her point is that she can do her best to run the game well, to prevent rules violations, and she can fall the floor when necessary. But you know, she can't stop adults from doing what they want to do. They can't make them do the right thing. So, um, you know, she can't turn back time. So once it happens, she'd just try to need to correct it and then be a little more forceful in uh, enforcing those rules. Right. Well, like I said, um, she's 100% correct where you can't stop adults from, you know, acting like children. Um, And all you could do is constantly ask them, and then eventually call the floor, let the floor know. I have, you know, repeatedly told this person about these violations, and they continue to do them. Then you need a strong floor, you know, uh, to tell that person, this is your, your, your first and only warning from me if I'm called to this table again. You will be asked to leave the room for the day. Uh, with people acting the way they're acting in today's day and age, you know, and... Uh, they kind of almost they almost take that as a uh, as a personal threat and decide they want to get in your face right then and there so you don't even need to wait till the next one um, um, unlike 30 years ago you know when I was a beginning dealer you know people were like oh I'm so, so most people would be apologetic and and everything else but uh, you know nowadays uh, you know you ain't throwing me out of you know stuff like this uh, we seem to have lost a little bit of respect, uh, you know, in, in all aspects of society today. And the poker room is no exception. Well, it's not always intentional on the player's part. Some people just don't really know the rules. So you have to kind of deal with the situation with kid gloves at times, right? Well, and that is 100% true. You know, we've all made mistakes. <laughs> you like to point out that on your uh the horse tournament, you know, right. you, you got penalized around because you kept forgetting to put up your ante. You didn't do that on purpose, obviously. Um, you know who those people are right away because almost to a person, they immediately feel embarrassed. You understand? And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I did that. You know, so uh, big difference between a seasoned poker player and a novice or beginner Um and you'll notice that right away. Uh, there are house rules that say, you know, we, we make rulings based on the best interest of the game. You understand? And even though it seems uh, that there are two ways of handling a similar situation, if, if you are a seasoned, and I know this for a fact that you are an experienced poker player, and you make a, you know, a, uh, a major violation more so to gain an edge on a player as opposed to someone that everyone at the table knows is a complete novice who did this not to gain information, but just out of a mistake. I will have two different rulings. <laughs> okay. I will throw that first person out of the game and the second person will get warned and have a second chance. Right. Uh, in closing, uh, she says, uh, you know, the rules are there to protect the players from themselves and each other. Uh, but if people are insisting, you know, that they're the rules stickler and they need to be uh, heavily punished every time, uh, that's not always necessary. She says, uh, nothing more than a friendly warning. Sometimes players will get back in line. 
and we need the rules. But when you focus on the rules and it outshines your enjoyment of the game, then maybe it's time to uh, get out of the game and do something else. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know about other dealers and uh, you know other people involved in it. Um, but, yes, that person is, is at a lot of tables. Um, obviously, at the uh, like I mentioned earlier in the conversation at the casinos, uh, a simple way to address that for those people who are that guy and you're listening to this and you don't want to upset it is to talk to the dealer directly and say, dealer, you know, please inform so-and-so, you know, or please inform the table if they're real smart. Please inform the table that they're not allowed to do this, please. And, you know, the person who, who you know, committed, <laughs> committed the, the, the mistake hears that, but it's not being directed directly at them. And I have found that that has um, created less uh, confrontational moments at the table. Okay. Uh, let's take a break here on the show. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about poker tells, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, that's an interesting discussion on uh, one thing that irritates a lot of players and uh, needs to be corrected. Certainly, it can be uh, very influential on future play in the game. Some people will use it to their advantage. Some people who don't know any better will be taken advantage of because of that. But uh, I do want to take a break uh, and also let you know that uh, you can always get in touch with us at a uh, special email, lemondave at yahoo.com. Please send a note. We'll talk about uh, some of your ideas. If you have some topics you want to discuss, if you have some guests you'd like to see us try to get on, uh, we will uh, follow that up for you. Uh, Lemon Dave, L-E-M-M-O-N, Dave at yahoo.com. Also, you can pick up the show, as usual, on uh, many different uh, forums, including uh, Spotify and uh, SoundCloud and different places where you, everybody gets their podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, sometimes installed right on your phone. Uh, we'd love to have you subscribe, maybe uh, rate the shows if you can, and uh, get back to us since we can prove the program as well. Uh, also, don't forget about the Poker Fuse podcast page. Don't forget about Hold'em Radio Network and other places that carry the show on a regular basis. And we hope you'll continue to follow us into the fall as uh, things start to get back to normal. I would say that the Seminole Hard Rock, uh, I don't know if you've heard anything, Joe, but will probably start to recover some of their big tournaments and uh, reestablish themselves as uh, one of the great places in the world for, for tournament poker. Yeah, I know they're trying to continue to increase. I don't know if it's still going to go nationwide. Um, I'm sure they're hoping for that. But it is interesting, Dave, because, again, uh, I look at the Bravo every now and then, and the two rooms, last Friday, I happened to get home at about 1130 at night, and for some reason I wanted to see the Bravo. Our room was already closed. And, you know, the, the Big Easy and the Hard Rock, where Hard Rock had about 29 tables running out of close to midnight, and the Big Easy had about 19 tables. So you didn't see anybody else in Broward uh, that I could see on the Bravo system that had any other tables running. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people want to play poker out there. I, I will tell you that as of today, we started going to seven-handed at our place. Uh, and... And the curfew for Dade County uh, went up to midnight, so the poker room was staying open till eleven. And, and for the casinos, the poker rooms in Dade, Broward—I mean, excuse me—in Miami Dade and uh, 
casinos are staying open till 11:30. And I know that there's a lot of eight-handed play up in Broward now, I believe. Exactly. And to be honest, Dave, as a manager, uh, I like the seven-handed uh, because it obviously allows you to open up more tables. Though the players don't, so that isn't even going to be an issue. Uh, but for some of us that are on limited hours, as we are here in Miami-Dade, um, it was kind of a double-edged sword. You know, people go, oh, but the rake is going to be less. I said, yeah, but then when you take into account that you can open up an extra table or two, um, you know, balance is off, and, and I honestly believe you'll make more money that way. But uh, you're right. Poker is in a lot of places coming back to normal, but in a lot of other places, it hasn't even come back yet. And some places may not even open up again. So Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's take this break. Uh, we'll be back to talk about Poker Tells when we come back. Uh, Zach Elwood, one of the experts. I was looking at an article by him. Also, Matt Matros, uh, one of the great players, uh, has an article in one of the uh, card player magazines called Big Bets and Short Thinks. So uh, that will be uh, something to discuss as well. And uh, we'll take a look when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line. We hope you'll stick around and hear all of the show. Uh, we'll be back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. <laughs> You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez coming to you. And uh, as mentioned, I wanted to get into a little discussion of poker tells, little things that people do at the table, sometimes uh, inadvertently and sometimes on purpose, maybe to try to misdirect uh, their opponents to what they're doing or what they're thinking. Uh, the, The inexperienced player often doesn't even realize he's doing it. And that's why I wanted to have this discussion because there's several categories it can fall into more than just, um, you know, looking at your cards or the certain way that you hold your cards or shuffle your chips. And uh, certain players uh, will do that without being aware they're even doing it. There's others that might deliberately act in a way 
to uh, deceive their opponents. So um, I, I don't want to say it's it's worthless to uh, to follow these basic uh, instructions, but you got to realize that when you identify maybe the skill of the player at your table, then you can apply that. Uh, is it something you rely on in your games, Joe? Not so much as others do, um, but that is a great point that you meant to observe this, depend, you know, judge this depending on your opponent's level of expertise or, or experience, I should say. Um, I have picked this up. On, on novice players is where it's a, more of a big tell. Um, you know, they, they, they wear their emotions, as the saying says, on their sleeves. Um, and they do classic tells, you know, with that. Um, most of them learn that now. I mean, you know, when you and I, growing up, uh, the big book on tells was Mike Carroll's book on tells. Right. And, you know, I read that. It was very interesting. You know, the problem with that was everybody else read that. <laughs> right. And uh, good players started to realize they started to do the reverse tell. You know, look weak when you're strong. You know, act strong. You know, the not, do it the opposite way. Um, and personally, uh, and I know I've mentioned this many years ago, discussing something similar, I had a huge tell in my game. And I, I thank the Lord that uh, one guy was nice enough. I was such a nice player. He goes, you're too nice of a person not to tell to. And um, back when you could smoke at the table, um, whenever I had a great hand, I'd pick up my cigarette. And when I, when, I was, when I was bluffing, I wouldn't have a cigarette in my hand. And I was getting crushed. And, you know, this person informed me of this tell. And I used it to my big benefit. Um, but it lasted for, for probably about half a session before somebody was smart enough to go, all right, who was the a-hole who told you about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I acted like I didn't know what he was talking about, but, uh, yeah, Dave, simple things that people still do. Well, I want to go about the categories. Uh, Mike Carroll, as you mentioned, was kind of the original that brought this up. Uh, since then, there's been a couple of people who have devoted a lot of their time and instruction to uh, expanding on Jero's stuff. Uh, one of the people, uh, Joe Navarro, who is a former FBI agent that uh, used his experience in law enforcement uh, in interviews that he used to do with uh, criminals or uh, accused criminals and uh, has kind of converted that into poker. So there's a very interesting book by Joe out there. Also, uh, um, the uh, one of the one of the current guys who does a lot of this stuff is Zach Elwood, Zachary Elwood, and he has a couple of books. One about physical tells, one about verbal tells. So there's a couple different categories. But the way I wanted to look at this thing was take a kind of a look at the category and maybe have you kind of say what you do to tra- to make yourself unreadable and prevent people from doing that. The first one is uh, uh, making making eye ca- contact or simply looking away, like where you look when the hand's being played. Do you uh, stare at somebody, catch their eye, and uh, try to uh, influence their play by the way you look at them? Or do you simply, like a lot of players will do, just kind of look to the center of the table and and not be affected by any comments that people make to them? Um, And that's a great question, Dave, because 
there are people that, and we've seen these in the big televised uh, tournaments, you know, where the top pros are looking at some of the so-called novices and staring them down just to see if they get a twitch out of them that they think reads weakness or strength. Um, I, I'm not, you, you know, I'm, I'm, that's not my style. I've seen it in my room sometimes uh, when, you know, when the game has gotten to that point. Uh, most people now throughout the years and have seen these people have gotten very nervous, have learned to, you know, master uh, and control their emotions and their movements at the table. One that still works for me, and I occasionally do this when I'm walking around the room, though, Dave, is an unknown. It's just a human nature reaction, in my opinion. And I remember reading this, and I believe I'll give credit to Howard Lederer on this. It may not be him, but um, I used to read a lot of his stuff. And as a novice, Dave, if you're drawing for a flush or, you know, an open-ended straight or, you know, full house, that river comes up, almost all the novice players are looking at that river. And it's human nature to react, whether it was good or bad for you. Uh, a lot of people have gotten control over that, but some people still make a little, little judge, you know, little movement that you've got to be able to read, even if you don't read it the first time you see it, but the guy turns over a, you know, a monster hand, he caught his hand. You've got to put that in the back of your mind and say, <laughs> next time he moves like that. But you're only going to see that if you're watching the players and not the board when that last card comes out. Right, right. So I used to always look at the board because I'm looking for my hand. And as as the person, and again, I'm giving Howard Letterer the credit. I, it, may, it may not be him, but, you know, as the person says, that card isn't going to change if you look at it two seconds after it's on the board. But your opponent's reaction will definitely be different. So... That started to, you know, and then obviously not being an FBI agent and a profiler, uh, you know, I'd see little reactions. And the next time, you know, if it can't, hand came to showdown, then, you know, you would know. And especially in the early days of doing this in the private game, since the game was so friendly, the guy would fold and the, and the winner would still say, man, I couldn't believe it. I wish you had called me. Look what I caught. So <laughs> you just got the free information. Okay, so when he does this, that means he's got a good hand. Next time he's drawing and he doesn't do that, it's pretty safe to assume he missed his draw. A lot of players will uh, do the same thing every time, and that will keep them from being readable. They'll, uh, they'll stare at a player uh, every time, no matter what kind of hand they have, or uh, you know, avoid looking away, as some people will do when they're weak uh, or, or making a bluff. Um, remember when we had, I believe it was Jerry Yang on the show, um, and I kind of asked him a question a, a, along those lines, and he says that what he did was his action, the way he acted, you know, he folded or called hands, made raises, that he, he mentioned on our show that he counted to 10 before right, he right. acted remember every that. single time. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. And, you know, that has stuck with me. So I have done that. Now, I'm going to give you a tell novices do it all the time and experienced players who hate to be told stop folding out of turn okay well they're folding out of turn just not throwing the cards away so it's the same scenario but now as a dealer i can't what, really what, what say do you mean anything. what do you mean by that well okay here you go so let's assume action starts on seat one you're in seat six 
and you know players in seats seven eight and nine have cards okay turn has come there's a bet made okay and even though you haven't flung your cards into the market thrown them away that you've obviously thrown them away you'll see the players put them together and push them right out like push it right to the level right to the line so they haven't folded but there's no chips on them there's they're not protecting them so you know everything tells you they're going to fold their hands okay so in essence what they've done is they folded their hands without technically folding their hands and smart players see this so if you were about to fold and this guy gives you that indication without throwing the cards away because if he throws the cards away he could be thrown out of the out of the the room because he may have been told multiple times stop folding out of turn so now they keep their cards but the mannerisms that they do the tell and in this case it's a tell but it's a you know it, it's a tell that they don't give a damn about so it affects the other players who have acted before him because it's giving unfair information to the players who have yet to act it that he's not going to be part of that pot right um, so as far as uh you mentioned Jerry Yang and and accounting but a lot of times, uh, and this is in the article by Matt Matros, that uh, short thinks or insta-bets are often a problem uh, for, for the less experienced player, uh, making a bet before they've really had a chance to think about it. Uh, it's not just merely a fast bet, he says, uh, when a player uh, considers for a few, few seconds and then goes all in, but a bet that happens almost simultaneously with the next card or cards being turned up uh, this is very often a bluff. He says, because if you are value betting, wouldn't they at least want to think about how big or small a bet they should make? Uh, and uh, if, if they are bluffing, it just might be uh, might not matter to them what the river card is and that sort of thing. Well, I find it the opposite when they do something like that, especially when it's a novice poker player. That just tells me they've got a monster hand. They're not afraid. They're not afraid to make that wager, you know, you know, and, and that's a bad tell for them because now, you know, smart players on the table will realize that. Um, Yeah. Most, and like he said, experienced players go all in on, in a halfway decent sized pot on the river when they're first to act without even thinking or on the turn, because there's been a lot of money pre-flop and after the flop, usually are trying to scare somebody off the hand. And again, these are things that you've got to kind of assess and, and, and apply based on the people that you're playing with, Dave. Right. You know, the, the information that he's giving you and giving everybody is fantastic information. If, uh, you know, if you and I were to go to any of the poker rooms and just, you know, we're sitting down with eight complete strangers that we've never played before. So you're kind of using a general, generalization rule as to how you're going to approach this. Uh, you know, poker is much more intricate than that. It involves, you know, um, you don't know how intelligent, you know, savvy these players are, how good they are, how capable they are of making all these moves. So when I hear these, these stories about tells and how to proceed with certain things, you know, the years of experience have taught me that I have to apply those you know, uh, in a wide range of ways because not every situation, as I've told you before, when we were calling hands, I always like to 
analyze what the type of play the player has been doing. So, you know, for people who are hearing our show, these are all great information for you, but you have to apply it, you know, to each individual poker player differently. You have to be observant. And that's one of the biggest things that I had to learn to get better at the game of poker you have to be very observant. Yeah, there might be the player who bets quickly because he thinks it's intimidating and he's trying to make you think he's strong when he's really actually quite weak. So there's also reverse ways to do that as well. Exactly, exactly. If if they know that's how you think, and again, that comes from observation. Um, You know, all the best advice that I've ever gotten has come from observing players, observing situations, putting a, a logical thought behind it as to you know what this person could have had did have um, you know in the past putting people on hands and seeing how correct you got and the more the more correct you got right. the better poker player you became because now you started to know your opponent and the same thing poker tells her the exact same thing it's it's somebody's trying to tell you a story and as uh, what was that young man uh, that we had on our show? He had just turned 21. Uh, Hayden, was it? Hayden Fortini. Uh, back back when we were in the studio, remember? Yeah. He goes, see if the story makes sense. You know, see if the story and the story when he meant by the story was the betting pattern. Uh-huh. Does it make sense that this person has what he or she is representing? Right. And once again, there's you know, and tells are all a big part of that. It's all about observational. If you play strictly your cards and what you think your opponent has without watching how they've reacted to cards, what they've done in the, in the past, you know, it's, it's in essence a crapshoot. It's good. No matter what tell they give you, if you haven't paid attention to it, it's not, it's worthless to you. So the only way tells are important to you, is if you constantly observing your opponents and also to use them as a guide to your own behavior and how you're being perceived. And that's a great comment, Dave, because if your opponent is acting this way to, to give you a, a false tell or has given away a tell without knowing it, well, you, I, it's safe to assume if they're intelligent enough, if they see that in you, they're going to assume that you have, or don't have a particular hand. So again, that's great observation because now I know how I can act against this opponent because I've been able to study him and find out what his tell is. And now, not only am I going to be able to read him in the future, now I want him to be able to get a false read on me, uh, you know, based on on how he plays his hand. So those are two of the big ones. Uh, what you look at, or how you, uh, what your eyes are directed at, and bet timing. But there's also the handling of the chips or the cards. Some people uh, are really giving away a lot of information by the way they handle those uh, cards in front of them. Exactly. This, these are the physical, t- like complete physical tells. Right. Uh, that I call them. It takes practice for you not to, you know, to control yourself. Right. One of the ones like that if your I hands, had, hands are shaking and that sort of thing. Well, yeah. And people know about that. And a lot of people have tried to control that. Okay. Uh, in the past, some people were even able to see the veins on people's necks throbbing when they had good hands or when they were bluffing. But um, simple. And again, very simple physical tells. Um, I believe Mike Carroll made one of those, but 
when someone has hit a monster on the river, they know they've got the, the nuts. Instinct, and, and again, a lot of people have heard this, but people still do this. It's a quick glance down at their chips. Right. You know, it's like an assessing, man, I, if I could get somebody to call all of this, you know, I'm going to double up my stack. And, and it's only there for a second. And once again, you have to be observing of this. I'll give you one that I did when I was first starting out. And I noticed this on my own. Um, so when I play poker now, I try to take proper posture in the chair. Okay. Because um, I was making the bad habit of when I did hit a, what I thought was a good hand at the end, I straightened myself up. <laughs> mm, yeah. you know, I was casual in the chair and all of a sudden, you know, oh, let me get ready because I'm about to rake in some chips and, you know, people couldn't throw their cards fa away fast enough after that, you know. And uh, so, and again, that was an involuntary, you know, reaction by me. It's just a normal human visit. The smart players pick up on this. So right. you want to become a good poker player, forget about the, I'm not to say forget about just reading the cards and the situation, just picking up on those tells can make you a lot of money in a session. Okay, another one of the tells that's out there, and this is probably maybe a little more common down here in South Florida where a lot of the poker rooms are at the paramutuals. There's people looking at uh, horse races that are up on the screen or highline games, uh, maybe viewing a sporting event. But the level of attentiveness to the game might be a good tell on you know, whether the player has a strong hand or not. Obviously, they're going to be a little more interested in the game if they got a great hand. If they know it's something that they're going to be throwing away soon, uh, then their attention uh, is directed elsewhere. Um, yeah, it could be. Um, more of a tell for me is because of sports betting, because of, you know, other paramutual bets, you know, uh, down here, as you mentioned. Um, the dealer has a tough time getting, you know, this person's attention, you know, and especially in the early days, Dave, when this game was a quarter, 50 cents, and it was, you know, literally a joke. But even as the game progressed to what we have today, um, somebody has, you know, as we say in, in highlight, game point to win a big trifecta, right. or, the, or the horses are, are, are they're coming down the stretch, you know, and, uh, you know, they got money uh, on, a, on a horse or a trifecta, they're excited about it. And no matter how much you try, especially down here in uh, in South Florida, where so many rooms are paramutuals, you can't do anything about it because it's it's almost like written into the rules. Um, so the tell to me is um, when the action gets to them, action's out there, and if the dealer tells them, "Hey, it's this much to call," and it's a large number, and they immediately call, like they just pick up their cards and throw that money in there. Um, you know, to me, it's a tell that they've got, they've either got a monster drawer or an outstanding hand. Okay. Um, Zach Elwood makes it a point of saying, try not to act during a hand uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll give away some information there by uh, putting on something artificial. Uh, if you're making, if you're just kind of shrugging and saying, well, I think I have to play this hand, you're probably very strong. Yeah, opening your mouth is is for smart players is going to be a dead giveaway. Uh, you know, whether you're trying to do a reverse, uh, 
it's never to me it's never been a good idea to talk at the table while you're while there's action the only time i've seen it work and again the smart players would just say oh i guess you have to you know setting them up for when they're in the hand with them was in private games um the only time i see this type of talking in the crazy games down here dave is uh pre-flop when they're just you know they're literally not playing poker. They're just gambling. You know, they're playing bingo, trying to see if they're the ones who hit bingo for a few thousand dollars. So, Gotcha. Um, so I guess the bottom line is uh, you look for tells, try to prevent yourself from em- emitting some of these tells. And it just builds on the experience of the game because some, again, some players will – uh, that have really been playing for a long time, will use their behavior to try to make you think they're feeling one way and then the other. And then when you get caught uh, falling to that trick, you need to remember that for future play. Yeah, that, again, that's absolutely necessary. You know, they used it against you. Now if someone, as like I mentioned earlier <laughs> in the show, when someone informed me I used it against them, if you become aware of a tell, and you go, son of a bitch, you know, every time I do this, these guys are know that I'm bluffing. Well, you know, next time, make sure you're in a big enough pot that you do that, that they push all their chips in the center of the table for you. So, and that is true, David, just make being aware of these situations. And what people don't realize, Dave, is uh, as the saying says, that poker is a hard way to, uh, to make an easy living. It's also a hard way to to earn a living as a you know to, to, because you have to actually put the work in and study and you know poker's a complicated game with a lot of different angles and it's constantly evolving the players are evolving and using different techniques and for you to be successful at it you got to constantly work at it and one of the ways is is by the tells yeah exactly Okay, interesting discussion, and uh, let's move on to some other news. Uh, down here in South Florida, interesting story kind of going on at the Seminole Hard Rock, who is starting ha- to have some big tournaments again. Uh, a local player named Scott Baumstein has been red hot lately. Uh, he won the Big Slick Tournament in September. I think I mentioned that last week. That was an $1,100 buy-in, and he collected 26000 uh, Then this past week, the third tournament in four weeks, to win over there was it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, he won a uh, $360 buy-in tournament called the Deep Stack Special, uh, 182 players, and that was the first week in October. Uh, his third time in four weeks, he's found the winner's circle, 182 entries in that one, and uh, Baumstein collected 13800 uh, $13, for uh, the top prize. So, um I think that's the other thing when you play at a regular room and you recognize some of these players, uh, you have to be extra careful as to uh, the kind of run that they're on. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, we, we've all seen it with all the top pros over, over the, the career of this show that um, I don't know if you recall, Dave, but for some reason when the new year would start, you know, January, um, you'd see some of the top poker players, in the world, all of a sudden, have these monster runs. Gus Hansen, uh, and you know, unfortunately, I can't remember who they are now. But they would make these runs, and they'd come. They they'd be hot as can be, 
going into the start of the WSOP. And for most of, for the most case, they they'd always walk away with at least one bracelet in that you know in the WSOP series. So um, it happens locally. It's happened to me uh, online, where you know I was just seeing everything perfectly, and um, you know whether it's because you know the players, you're just running well. It's probably a combination of both. Uh, when you play in a regular room. And it's the same tournament players as it is with the same cash players. You know, if your reads have been correct in the past, they're going to be correct going forward. And if you're able to make them all correctly, this is what happens, you know. And it's it's a wonderful – being on that heater, as they say, yeah, is exactly. a wonder, it's a wonderful thing to be on the heater side. The non-heater side is not very fun when you can't seem to buy – you know, can't seem to – to hit the water if you fell off of a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean. So right. uh, that's just how it is. People might be wondering now that the uh, the Seminole Hard Rock is open and having some tournaments, these are smaller events, single one-off events, whether it's a one- or two-day opening series. Uh, but people are probably wondering, what about the big ones? When are we going to do that again? I don't, I don't know. I know that – uh, people have asked me about the Lucky Hearts Open, which is right around Thanksgiving every year. There's no plan to hold that. Uh, the first one that they still have on their schedule is the Fun in the Sun, which is the week after Christmas, December 26th through the 30th, still on the schedule. So uh, we'll get an idea what happens with that. Obviously, we lost the, the big one, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, which was always in August. And we lost the showdown back in April. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, any uh, word in your discussions of people having more tournaments uh, uh, around no, town? I've been, I've been so busy trying to get our room up and running. And, and obviously, I was out for a month with surgery. So, uh, you know, I've been more concerned about making sure that, you know, my room is up. People have asked me, uh, to be honest with you, I'm hoping uh, – within the next month to six weeks, uh, we try to run a tournament. You know, I've been discussing that uh, with the manager and, and, and with upper management. And um, I know that our owner would love to see a tournament there. He'd actually love to see a very big tournament. Our room is small. Uh, trying to, I've been thinking about it in my head, how to run a successful uh, tournament in a smaller room. Um, my room was more than double the size of that. And, you know, Sundays was my tournament day. And I'd run a $10,000 guarantee, $110 buy-in. And every week it was, you know, 120 to 130 people. Um, our best one was with rebuys was about 160. So we got up to $16,000 prize pool. Um, and they're a lot of fun. It creates an excitement when the whole room is full, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know... We haven't done that yet there, but that is something that I'm thinking about. And I know that, uh, you know, our owner would love to see a big tournament. So something I've been thinking a lot about and uh, trying to see how I can make that work in our room. But as far as the big tournaments and the national tournaments, like you mentioned, uh, for the Hard Rock, Dave, I, I, I honestly believe it's going to be very difficult to do that. You know, there are so many Europe, the, uh, the, magazine that you work for Annie yeah, yeah. that you write art articles for uh, sent me another email stating the rooms that were open and yeah you see a lot of states that have all their poker rooms open like Florida does and then there's others that just don't and um, 
until I honestly believe until we get close to where we're either we have a vaccine or very little numbers of COVID, I see this, you know, not getting to that point. I, I you know, uh, different parts of the state now, you know, are showing increased numbers. So big national tournaments, I think we're still quite a few months away from and, something and like anything that. Anything that involves travel is, is a very big problem. Exactly. So then you have to have, you have to kind of, it's almost, they've actually, I don't feel bad about it. It's almost going back to the old days of a 360 tournament was a big tournament, you know, yeah. winning 13,000, 18,000, 15,000 was a lot of money, you know? Uh, so it's almost like taking us back to the beginning of these tournaments and stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem with that for right now. Uh, there is some news out of California that the bicycle, which is one of the biggest rooms in the state of California, has uh, reopened for outside play. They've been uh, restricted quite a bit, uh, but they have 17 poker tables open for cash game action. They started last Monday. And uh, they were closed for roughly three months, uh, put in a sweeping uh, plan for safety and that sort of thing. So uh, they are trying to get things going here. We had mentioned Bay 101 and Ocean's 11 that had opened earlier. And once that happens, then everybody's trying to uh, basically get open. So, uh, you know, we'll try to just keep Just like the restaurants back. down here, just like the restaurants down here. Where exactly. You open, where you couldn't have any indoor seating and everybody – what's got creative as to how to, you know, keep people making money and, and earning a living. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, today we are, uh, we'll be back next week with another show and, uh, we're kind of, uh, plug, plugging along here. Uh, not able to have a lot of guests at this point, but we would like to do that soon if we can have, if we can handle it. Uh, also, uh, Sure, and let us know what's going on if you can. LemonDave at yahoo.com would be a nice place to get a hold of us. Let us know what you think about the show. Of course, uh, all the places where you get your podcasts, you can, a lot of places you can subscribe to the show, you can rate the show, you can put some comments after, and we would love to hear some of that as well. So uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Joe, uh, thanks for uh, taking the time and uh, being with it. And Joe Costello, uh, great job once again, as always, running the show for us. And we do appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another edition of Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 